بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الحمد للہ جنائی از دا آف جنوری ان دا the important subject of the journey of the soul entitled deeds which can be passed on to the deceased so in a report in ibn majah behaki and sheikh al-bani rahmatullah stated hasan in sahih al-tarqib number 77 and number 112 sayyidina abu hurairah radiyallahu he relates that our beloved messenger said sallallahu alayhi wasallam Amongst the good deeds that continue to benefit a believer after death are knowledge that he taught and disseminated, a righteous child surviving him, a copy of the Quran that he left as inheritance, a masjid that is built, a house that he built for stranded travelers, a stream that he run i or maintain for people to drink or a charity that he gave from his wealth during his healthy days indeed all of these would reach him after death so let's look at this blessed report so it's an authentic report in ibn majah So here the Prophet was explicitly mentioning certain things and they will all benefit the believer after death. So the first he mentioned was knowledge that he taught and disseminated. So what's the reward? So if you pass knowledge on and a person acts upon it, you get a share of that reward. So obviously... If he then passes it on, you get a share of that reward, etc, etc. In fact, the reward is so immense that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, The best sadaqah is for a Muslim to teach his Muslim brother i.e. something about the deen in Ibn Majah. It's the best sadaqah. Why? Because it continues. You get a share of that reward. So this is the first thing the Prophet mentioned. The second thing you mentioned was a righteous child surviving him. So how does a righteous child benefit? Many ways. In one report in Tabulani, the Prophet said, whoever teaches his child to recite the Quran, all his past and future sins are forgiven. I.e. the parent. So by giving your child a good upbringing, you benefit immensely. And then, of course, it's the same principle. You teach your children, they act upon the knowledge, you get the reward. Because it's the same principle. And of course, etc., etc., so on and so forth. And also, they make dua. The Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned that a righteous child makes dua for his parents. And what's interesting about this hadith, the Prophet described that child as righteous. 
So people forget to highlight that word. Why? Because when a child makes du'a for his deceased parents, he's righteous. The Prophet said it. So this shows that you want children of that nature who remember their parents after. The third thing the Prophet mentions is a copy of the Quran that he left as an inheritance. So any legacy that you leave behind in literature, the people will benefit from. The Quran, of course, being the greatest literature. So even if you leave blessed Qurans in your own name, everybody who recites from the Quran, whether you are alive or dead, you will get the reward. So it's an excellent uh, means of acquiring virtues. And what's very interesting about the Quran is that there's a famous hadith, but people don't reflect upon it. The hadith is in Tirmidhi, authentic. The Prophet said, for each letter you get ten good deeds. Alif is one letter, Lam is one, Meem is another. So why did the Prophet say that? So Shaykh al-Hadith, Rahmatullah who wrote Fazali Amal, he said, normally you get the reward after you've completed the deed. But the Quran is such a treasure that Allah Ta'ala gives you the rewards and he separates it during the deed. So for instance, you may intend to recite two pages of the Quran. So the reward should be at the end of the two pages. But Allah Ta'ala loves the Quran so much, he starts rewarding you. He separates it immediately into letters. So here the Quran, if you leave a Quran as an inheritance, this is immense. The fourth thing the Prophet mentions is a masjid that is built. So obviously, if you have the means to come to pay or to construct an entire masjid is excellent. But most haven't got the means. So even if you contribute, you will get a share of those rewards for anybody who worships in the Blessed Masjid. The fifth he mentions is a house that he built for stranded travelers. So in the old days, it's not as common now. In the old days, there were no hotels. So there were important stopping posts during journeys where people would stay. So this is what the Prophet was referring to. So maybe an extension, if a person gives towards orphanages and things of that nature, they'll fall into the same bracket. The sixth thing the Prophet mentions, a stream that he run, meaning you provide water. By providing water, this is an immense reward. One of the companions, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, the chief of the Khazraj, he said, my mother passed away, Ya Rasulullah. What should I now do for her? What's the best thing I can do for her? The Prophet said, provide water. So he could have mentioned anything the Prophet ﷺ. Why did he mention water? He must have an immense place in terms of virtues for the deceased. So here the Prophet said, a stream that he ran, meaning anything to do with water, that will greatly benefit the deceased. And then he said, ﷺ, or a charity that he gave from his wealth during his healthy days. So why is this interesting? Everyone the Prophet mentioned, ﷺ, you can do when you're still alive for yourself. So yes, you can pass it on to the dead. But you can do it right now once you're still breathing. So the Prophet completed it by saying, a charity he gave from his wealth during his healthy days. All of these would reach him after death, the Prophet said. So this is called investing. And the Prophet was telling you where to invest, sallallahu alayhi wa
in another authentic hadith, two other deeds are mentioned. Our beloved messenger said, وسلم, digging a well, planting palm trees. Digging a well, planting palm trees. This is in Bazar, Abu Nu'im, and Shaykh al-Bani stated Hassan in Sahih or Targheeb number 73. So a well, a stream, planting seeds. Look how easily that is done. And what's the rewards? The reward mentions that everybody who benefits from the tree, you get the reward. So how many things benefit from a tree? The leaves, the fruits, you got the insects, you got the birds, you got you know, squirrels, right? It goes on and on. The Prophet even mentioned the jinn. If a jinn drinks from the well, he goes, you get a reward. And he said something even more amazing. The Prophet said, even if somebody steals from the tree, you get a reward. <laughs> so let's say some you know dodgy character comes, takes all the apples, right? Obviously he's got problems. You still don't lose that. But if you had dedicated that seed to the dead, all of that's going. And don't forget trees have cycles. You got spring, summer, then it dies, then it comes back to life. How many times are you going to be giving the rewards to the deceased? Some trees live for thousands of years. So isn't that an investment? So Lord, the Prophet is telling us what to do. But unfortunately, we start making our own things up. Right? You know, it's like, you know, the Prophet told you invest here, do this, do this. He goes, well, I'll do something else. Astaghfirullah. Another important point. <clears throat> the Hanafis and Hanbalis, Rahimahumullah, they have said anything can be passed to the dead, whether it's financial or purely bodily. The Shafis and Malikis, Rahimahumullah, they initially said, Dua obviously can be passed on, because the Quran mentions, and anything financial. So if you give, if you do an Umrah, you do an Hajj, you give Sadaqa Jariyah, no problem. But initially, the Shafis and Malikis, Rahimahumullah, they said anything purely bodily cannot be passed on to the dead. So what does that mean? You can't pass on Salah to the dead. You can't pass on fasting to the dead unless it was willed or he owed some fasts. However, later, these schools also agreed that the purely bodily acts of worship can also be passed on. So why have I mentioned that? Because there is no difference of opinion now. So if anybody comes to you and he starts confusing you, because you can't pass on Salat, brother. He say, yes, you can. He goes, no, you can't. And you, you respond by saying, all the Imams have agreed. So has he got any way to counter that? No, nothing to counter that. So now another thing, when you pass it on to the deceased, shaitan will play with the ignorant. Shaitan will whisper into your heart and mind, if you pass this on, half goes to you, half goes to them. If you pass it on to two, you get a third. The second or the third gets a second third. So this is logic. And the response is no. You get the full reward. And the reward is fully passed on to the dead. So it's strange. Why? Because in worldly terms, that doesn't make sense. For example, if I give 10 pound to a brother, he benefits with the 10 pound. I don't get anything. But somebody goes, no, you've got 10 pound as well. But I've given him 10 pound. How am I getting 10 pound? So that is logic. 
the hadith mentions you don't lose out. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't, you, you know, people are so selfish. Well, what's the point of passing it on? I want the full reward myself. So when you're passing anything on, you can pass whatever you wish on. The only thing you cannot is the obligatory deeds. You can't pass on the fard. Right? Some even go as far as to say the wajib can be passed on, uh, some of the Hanafis. But out of precaution, avoid that because it's close to the obligatory. The sunnah can be passed on. All it takes is intention. Look at what we're depriving the dead from. We don't have to, we don't have to pay anything. I'm not losing out. In fact, I'm getting my full reward. I'll probably get another reward for remembering the dead. And yet, how many people do that? How many prayers, for instance, have you offered today? Did you make intention to pass it on to the dead? Why did you deprive them? And the knee-jerk response is, I want the full rewards. That doesn't make any sense, brother. If you don't lose any rewards. So always make that intention. Another point people make, when is the latest I can make the intention? Hafiz ibn Qayyim, rahmatullah he mentioned in his Kitab al-Ruh, he said that the intention can be made as long as the deed has not been completed. So I'm putting it simply, if you're offering a nafal prayer, you haven't made intention to pass it on to the dead. And you're now in the last sitting, just before the taslim, and you remember, even if you make the intention in your heart in the last sitting, that will be passed on to the dead. But if you complete the prayer, it cannot be passed on. Right? According to what Hafiz ibn Qayyim said. Otherwise, why is that important to highlight? Well, then a person could simply say, well, yalla, all the deeds I've done, pass them all on. Right? Then obviously, there's got to be a point where there's some rules and regulations in place. So the latest is before the deed is completed. So again, don't forget, we will also pass away. And like the saying goes, well, in fact, it's not a saying, it's a hadith. The Prophet said, whoever honors an aged person, if he is destined to become aged, Allah will appoint a youngster to honor him. So the meaning here is, if you help somebody who is aged, Allah will appoint somebody to honor you. So what's the sunnah? The sunnah is, if you help somebody, Allah will help you. So similarly, when you remember the dead, that's a good sign that somebody will remember you. But if you're not sending anything to them, then don't expect people to send anything to you. So one of them. So the dua, the Prophet wasallam in a very famous hadith in Sayyid Muslim, he said, knowledge, the dua of a righteous child and sadaqah can be passed on. So he mentioned three. The dua is mentioned explicitly by the Prophet The dua should never ever be underestimated. Why? Because it's easy to do. Sadaqah is not easy. You have to do something, you know, physically or sacrifice. But dua is something very easy. Why should you never underestimate the dua? So there's many examples to mention one. There was a murderer. So he committed murder. He was executed by hanging. The people dreamt 
that he was strolling in paradise, wearing beautiful garments. So look how strange. So outwardly he's committed a great crime, he's been caught, authorities sentenced him, hanged. People are seeing him in paradise. So somebody asked, how on earth did you get into paradise? Didn't you commit murder? So the murder, the murder that he said, whilst I was hanging on the gibbet, Habib al-Ajmi happened to pass by. He took pity on me and he supplicated for my forgiveness. And Allah Ta'ala forgave me. So now who is Habib al-Ajmi? So he was a saintly soul. So think about it, you know, so he's a, you know, somebody's been caught, convicted, but the saints' hearts are very pure. <laughs> so imagine the dua, how long did it take? He, might, didn't, he probably didn't even raise his hands. Maybe just in his heart, Ya Allah, you know, if you can have mercy, have mercy upon him. Because Allah Ta'ala forgave me. <laughs> so what would the living taught? Do not underestimate the dua. People think the dua, no, 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 no. It's not that easy, brother. <laughs> We need blood, sweat and tears before you get forgiven. Well, you're not going to forgive me. Who are you? Where have you popped out from? Allah Ta'ala is the one who forgives. And we know he's the most merciful. And this proves it. Habib al-Ajmi, rahmatullahi, he was only able to pronounce certain Arabic words correctly. That's why they called him Ajmi. <laughs> he wasn't Ajmi. He was an Arab. But because he couldn't pronounce certain words, like some people can't. So instead of saying saw, they say seen. Salih, they say Salih, you know, example. So Hassan al-Basri, another great man from the Salaf, Tabi'in, Rahmatullah, he once was praying Maghrib and Habib al-Ajmi was leading. So Hassan al-Basri listened to him and Habib al-Ajmi said, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. So now a lot of people don't even realize that's a mistake. Because they don't do tajweed. He should have said, Alhamdu. So Hassan al-Basri, he decided, I'm not playing behind him. Because I don't think uh, there's a danger his prayer is not accepted. The same night, Hassan al-Basri had a dream. Rahmatullah. And he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this shouldn't be strange. In a dream, you can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Ahmad famously saw. It doesn't mean you see, it means that he's conversing. And Hassan al-Basri asked, Oh my Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, where lies your pleasure so I can invest? In other words, there's so many avenues. Please teach me so I will put my energy into that avenue. Allah the Almighty and Lord has replied, if you had prayed behind Habib Ajmi in Salat, it would have been better for you than your Salat of an entire lifetime. You thought of the external perfection without taking account of the purity of the heart. So what was the disaster? Habib al-Ajmi wasn't making the mistake deliberately. Some people cannot. There's something wrong. They've got an impediment. Hassan al-Basri was going by this letter of the law. He goes, the prayer is, I don't think it's valid. 
So Allah the Almighty told him, you were looking at the external. You can't see what's in his heart. If you'd known what state he was in, he goes, I would have given you a greater reward than your salat of a lifetime. Now think about that. What was Hassan al-Basri's salat of a lifetime? Not like mine and yours. Should this hadith be strange? No. The Prophet said in Tabarani that if you pray behind a righteous person, it's like you prayed behind a prophet. So obviously Allah knows who the righteous are. But that's why you should put the righteous forward. Obviously there's fiqh, ilm and this, that. But you'll notice sometimes, even the ulama do this. They'll see a righteous soul, they say, please read the prayer. And then he humbly says, no, no, you're the imam. And then you get a little bit of tug of war. And eventually the righteous goes in front. Everybody's left bewildered thinking, why they put this elder in front? Because he's righteous, right? And the imam's thinking, I need some rewards. So what about Habib al Look how pure he was. That he made one dua and a murder was forgiven. If you prayed behind him, you'd have got a lifetime of salat. Right? So again, note you know, the, the greatness of these souls. So again, the dua, don't underestimate dua. But you have to make it sincere. The other thing is, <laughs> one of the scholars, he made a good point. Because you can't impress Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Normally when he wants something, you know, you have to impress somebody. You know, it's, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. He's like, go on then. What can, what can you do for me? That, that goes with the creation. How are you going to do for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What? Right? So your deeds are pointless to him. Your dua is what's nice, what he likes. Because you're showing servitude. You're showing servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abu Dhar al-Jafari said, your salat is food. Your dua is salt. Your ibadat, sorry. Your ibadat, your worship is food. Your dua is salt. Now think about it. Look how beautiful and profound that statement is. There is no taste to your worship if you don't pray. It's bland. So you see a person, khushu, khushu, everything in salat, khushu, crying. You don't make dua. That's like a body without salt, right? No, but Gordon Ramsay cooked it. Is he Muslim? Right? That's the first thing. They go, okay, no, yeah, he blessed Islam. Is he, yeah, yeah, he's very pious now, is it? But why, why didn't he put salt in it? Your worship becomes bland. But what activates all your worship? Dua. And yet, do people make dua? You see? And sometimes they make dua like, it looks like you're benefiting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way you're making dua. Astaghfirullah. So to conclude, how beautifully did our beloved messenger sum up this most important matter of the reality of death from the two following reports. In Ibn Majah Ahmad, Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah stated Hassan in As-Sahihah number 1751, Sayyidina Al-Bala ibn Azib, Rasulullah once passed by a group of people gathered around something. And he asked Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam over what are these people gathered? Why is they gathering here? He was informed it is a grave that they are digging, Ya Rasulullah. They're not around, around a person, but they, they're helping to dig a grave. He thereupon rushed to that direction, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, ahead of his companions until he reached the grave. 
So imagine Sahaba digging their grave and Rasulullah suddenly emerges. So they stop. <laughs> Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa then knelt down looking into the grave. So he actually looked and he was lost in his blessed thoughts sallallahu alayhi wa Then suddenly he started to weep. And he wept until his tears were falling on the ground. He then paused again and he turned to the companions and he said, Ay ikhwani limithli hadal yawmi fa'a'iddu Oh my dear brothers, for a day such as this, you must prepare yourselves. Subhanallah. Oh my dear brothers, for a day such as this, you must prepare yourselves. And let's look at this. So this is an authentic hadith. Why was Rasulullah weeping? There was nobody buried. It was just a grave. It's somebody's grave. So the Prophet was probably shown who the person was, what's the state he's in, seeing maybe the goodness or the hardships he's going through. And he started to weep, thinking everybody has to go through this. And then he turned to the Sahaba. How did he address them? Ay ikhwani, oh my brothers. Sometimes he'd call them Sahaba, sometimes he'd call them brothers. For a day like this, you must fa'iddu. You must prepare yourselves, meaning you're still alive. You still got time to prepare your grave. And he was, you can see that he was, you know, earnestly, you know, yearning this. Saying, prepare for this. In another report, in Ibn Majah Tabarani, Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi authenticates it in As-Sahihah, number 1384. Abdullah ibn Umar, he relates to our beloved messenger, said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَأَقْيَسُهُمْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ ذِكْرًا لِلْمَوْتِ وَأَشَدُّهُمُ اسْتِعْدَادًا لَا The most intelligent amongst them are those who remember death most often and prepare for it the hardest. أُولَائِكَ هُمُ الْأَقْيَاسِ Indeed, those are the prudent ones. They will indeed attain honor in this world and excellence in the hereafter. Subhanallah. So let's look at this. So this is an authentic hadith in Ibn Majah. So who are the most intelligent ones? What a question. How many different answers can you give to that? The one with the most, you know, gray matter. The one who's got more qualifications, the one who's got more experience, you're all right to some degree, but no. <laughs> who is the one in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the most intelligent? These are the qualities. They remember death aktharuhum, often. So you'll see him and they're just like, you can tell that they're lost in their thoughts. He's thinking of death again. He's thinking of death again. And they prepare for it with vigor. So not only are they just lost about death, they, then you can see him and they're on it like a bunny that we say. You know, they just, what's he, he's on a mission, this guy. Yeah, what's his mission? He's preparing for the grave. Right? And what's funny about these people is people, when they are going through, when they see them, they actually have a little chuckle because their imams are a bit weak. So they go, oh, look, they, they, they're working too hard. He doesn't need to go through all that effort. And they have that little kind of chuckle. When those people drop dead, 
those people who were chuckling, what did they then start saying? Mm. He was very wise. Right? And he goes, I'm going to admit it. Well, you the one who was saying that he's going too far, you know, he's going flat out, this, that. You're saying, no, 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 he's wise. Look how they judge themselves. <laughs> right? And isn't that true? You see people, you know, oh, he's on it, oh, he's on it. And then people go, oh, he's, he's going overboard. When he dies, then people all praise him. He was on it, he was on it. He was intelligence well, we have, we've lost the plot. We should be like him. So this is what the Prophet was saying. Then he said something very interesting, which is easily missed. Look how deep that statement is. They will attain honor in the world. Hang on a minute. If you're preparing for death, what's that going to do with the world? What are you asking me for? The Prophet gave you the answer. I just explained. Don't they get honored? Who do people remember with affection? After they've died, they're righteous. They've been given honor. Who do people good riddance? But when they were alive, they might have feared them. So outwardly people respect them, but they don't really respect them. They get confused with fear and respect. For example, you get a person who's a zalim. So people fear him. So they'll call him, you know, Sheikh, Sheikh, this, that, you know, respected so and so. As soon as he dies, people, you see him. You must have celebrate, you can see him celebrating. So that, the Prophet said, is part of the honor in this world. Now what's interesting about that? One of the companions, he went to the Persian Empire. The, you know, the, it was the Battle of Qadisiyah. And he was sent as an ambassador to invite before the war. And when he entered the tent, the Persians had put out all the splendor. Imagine any, you know, silk, gold, you know, everything, worldly. And the Sahaba goes in and he's very simple. He comes in and he's sitting on his smashed up little horse. And he doesn't even get off. Because are you going to get off? He goes, why should I get off? You'll be your call me. I didn't come here myself. So they went, okay then. And he goes, he goes why have you called? He goes, what are you calling to? So the Sahaba Radiyallahu said, I'm calling you away from the narrowness of this world. To its vastness. He said other things. Why did he mention that to the Persians? Because they're thinking, what did he just say? We've got the vastness of the world. We're the superpower. What did he just say? I want to take you away from the narrowness of this world to the vastness. Nothing to do with the Akhirat. What was he talking about? The statement of the Prophet. He goes, if you embrace Islam, you will then start preparing for death. And our messenger said, you will attain honor in this dunya. And look at all the people we're remembering. That's part of the honor. Did the Sahaba worship so we could remember them with fondness? They didn't give a monkeys about that. And look at the people who wanted people to remember them. Like Pharaoh and that. Yeah, we certainly do remember them. But with love. Right? So note again, the Prophet is telling you. And then he said, and they will have karamatil akhirah. Karam means excellence. Excellence in the akhirah. You get the best of both worlds when you prepare for death. Not like some fruitcakes give the impression, brother, when you embrace Islam, see you later to the world. You're going to have to sacrifice it. It's all about the akhirah. Grab that guy. 
Trying to stop talking rubbish, right? Because he's talking about the deen. And he's about said something wrong. Of course you said something wrong. Because the guy's going to think, I've got to get rid of the dunya. Where does it say that? The Prophet goes, you'll be given honor in this dunya. Right? So not again. Misconception. That's why people are hesitant to embrace Islam because of these misconceptions. Astaghfirullah. So let us therefore indeed be from amongst the most prudent and prepare wholeheartedly for the inevitable. And to finish in the Quran, in Surah Taha, Surah 20, verse 75 onwards, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, translation, But such as come to Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, as believers, who have worked righteous deeds, for them are ranks exalted, Gardens of eternity beneath which rivers flow to dwell forever. Such indeed is the reward of those who purify themselves. Look how amazing. In one passage, Allah explains everything. He says, those who are believers, you can't be righteous without Iman. You have to be a believer. There's no such thing as a righteous person without Iman. Because it's not going to benefit him. Then he said, subhanahu wa ta'ala, who do righteous deeds. They will have ranks, meaning depending upon the, the greatness of the, the deed, the purity of the deed. And what does Allah say at the end? Such is the reward of those who purify themselves. They're constantly striving to purify the de- their deeds for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all I mentioned was a few reports now with regards to predominantly what deeds can be passed on to the deceased. And touching briefly upon the fiqh, not going too much into that. And then mentioning, of course, not to belittle certain things like du'a. Even though it's a very easy amal, it is a very profound amal. Are there any questions? You mean passing on to the deceased? You can pass it on to all the deceased, can't you? Yes. But should you like name your parents first? We'll do it a certain order. Excellent. MashaAllah. So, in, in terms of numbers, it doesn't matter. You don't get lose any, the, the rewards don't dilute. But obviously, looking at the righteous, they mention the near and day ones first. So, you can technically say, Oh my Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, pass the rewards of this deed to all the deceased believing folk. That's fine. But to honor your loved ones, you should mention them first. And the proof of that is the Quran. Why did Ibrahim make this dua? Oh my Lord, pardon me and my parents and all the believers. You understand? Why did he mention his parents separate from the believers? And why did he mention himself separate? So this is the etiquette. But you can, of course. And don't forget, can't enough, the rewards do not diminish. No, don't deprive anybody. In fact, just to add this, you can pass it on to the living. <laughs> Even the living can get the rewards. Well, the last, who's you? you know, are you limiting the generosity of Allah? So, why have you deprived the living? And there's an interesting report, I'll just mention it very quickly. The hadith is in Abu Dawood. And uh, Abu Huraira, he saw some men. He said, Where are you from? And they said, We're from a place in Iraq. <coughs> so he said, can you offer two rakats salat in the masjid from the locality you're in? 
for Abu Huraira. So they were surprised at that request. They goes, why are you asking is or companion of the Prophet to offer two rakats in the local masjid that we're from? Mm. So he said, I've heard Rasulullah say that from the locality you're from, they will be the hardest upon the jar. So I would like you to offer to, uh, a prayer for me. So this is the gist of the report. The second strange thing is Abu Huraira is obviously not dead. So what's he asking them to do? <laughs> he goes, do two rakats for me. Look how strange. Do two, but I'm supposed to pass it on to the dead. So that's a proof that the living can also get the rewards. And one of the things that people forget to request the people going to Hajj or Umrah is to ask them to offer a prayer for you. You know, it might sound strange. You know, you, you're, going to, you're going to have Umrah. He goes, yes, brother. Can you do me a favor? He goes, oh, yes, but you want me to give salam to the Prophet? Goes, oh, yes, yes, definitely give my salam. What is somebody else like you to do? He goes, what's that then? Do two rakat salat in Masjid al-Haram, Masjid al-Nabi, Masjid al-Quba for me. Be honest, what was his response going to be? For who? For me. Yusuf, son of Shamroz. Natural knee-jerk response. But you're supposed to pass it on to the dead, aren't you? No, pass it on to the living as well. Why are you depriving me? But don't burden him, obviously. Don't start saying, and, 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 next minute he's going to get booked. You know, thinking, you know, what's happening here? Uh, any other questions?